everybody. Welcome to episode 16 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And we are recording today from the Guilford Library in their craft room because um, Jacob is home visiting in my little dorm room. gets a little crowded <laughs> when there's more than one person. So I thought it'd be fun for us to record in a more spacious place. We're sitting on this really cool, beautiful carpet that reminds me of um, my kid's kindergarten room. It's one yeah. of those colorful carpets with the alphabet on it. Yeah, the border is all books, colorful books, and each corner has a picture of a bookworm chewing, well, not chewing a book, reading a book. Yeah. Yes. We're on a roll here because the last two recordings we were in Manchester. Now we're at the Guilford Library, Library. so maybe yeah. we'll just be mobile recording from here on out. Right, and I think our next one possibly could be in new york yes because we're going to book expo which we're very excited about yeah we've got lots to talk about yeah and excuse my voice if i'm clearing my throat i apologize ahead of time yes um chris has allergies or i made her sick because i was sick the last (laughs) couple times i saw her i'm hoping it's allergies and not me getting her sick yes But you had a follow-up, you said. Yes, I just wanted to clarify. Um, we talked about Kathleen Rooney's poetry company. It's poetry po- po- poetry, poetry on, While You Wait? Yeah, Poetry While You Wait. Oh, gosh. Well, we're going to get her publisher correct this time. Poems While You Wait. Poems While You Wait. Yeah. Yes. Um, and we mentioned that the proceeds of that, it's $5 per poem. Uh, the proceeds go actually to her publishing house, which is Rose Metal Press. So we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, we just wanted to clarify that for y'all and be accurate. That's right. Yes, because facts matter. That's right. Real facts. (laughs) We we speak the truth here at the Book Cougars. (laughs) So should we talk about what we just read? Sure. I have two DNFs that we did not finish. Okay, go for it. Okay. Well, the first was Paula Hawkins' new one, Into the Water. Um, She's the one who wrote The Girl on the Train, which I did love that book. And I was really looking forward to Into the Water, but I just couldn't get into it. It's a book that has multiple narrators, and I just, I didn't care about any of them. I couldn't get hooked Mm. on any of them. So I I gave it, I think, about 50 pages, and I let it go. That's a fair amount. So that was a disappointment. Yeah, that is too bad, especially when you're really looking forward to a book. I know, yeah. And that's the thing. Like, some books grab you and some don't. And I, I think it's rare for me to find a writer that I love everything that they've written. Yeah. I mean, really... There's Louise Penny, Pat Conroy, and Willa Cather. <laughs> I think those are probably the only three writers I've read everything they've written. Hmm. Yeah. I I guess uh, I think no, I don't know that there's a writer that I've read everything except maybe mm-hmm. Judy Bloom. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that was a long time ago. Yeah. And sometimes when I DNF a book, which is very rare for me, I don't know if it's a mood that I'm in where I just can't. I mm-hmm. kind of can't concentrate on reading. Right. Or if it's actually the book. Or sometimes, we've talked about this before, I think, it's the hype. You know, yes. there's so much hype around yeah. a book, or you've hyped it because you're mm-hmm. so looking forward to it that it just can't reach your expectations. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Or it's just really different from the author's previous book, and it's yes. just not your cup of tea. Yeah. That could be. And, you know, plus I have been kind of sick and under the weather, but I have heard from other people um, that it wasn't their cup of tea, but then I've seen great reviews of it. Yeah. And other people loved it. Hmm. So, go yeah. figure. Well, I had a DNF also. I DNF'd to One in a Million Boy by Monica Wood. Oh. And I think part of it is I started it when I was in the middle of my, you know, final push for school. And I just couldn't concentrate. Mm-hmm. And so I think that I kept coming back and forth to it. And I don't do very well reading books in little pieces. 
I do much better sitting down for long stretches, especially first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I just, I finally just brought it back to the library. Okay. And I'm not, I'm not one to not finish, but yeah. maybe it's at that approaching age of 50, you know, I'm just going to start <laughs> DNF in all my books. Well, we'll see. yeah, when you know that there is a ton, there are a ton of books that you want to get into. Yeah. Um, that's what happened to me, I think, with the second book I DNF'd. Um, which was Americana by Chimamanda mm-hmm. Ngozi Adichie, which mm-hmm. I was shocked. Like, So I started reading it, and I was enjoying it, but then at the, about the 50-page mark, I thought, oh, you know, I, I enjoy her writing, but I just thought, wow, this, the, it was the paperback that I had that was something like 580 pages, mm-hmm. and I'm on page 50, and I thought, yeah. I just don't know if I want to commit to that length of time so who knows, the book could have taken off. I did kind of skim another 30 pages or so, but I just thought I there are too many other things I want to read right now. And I, I picked it up because I, I have been wanting to read her. I've seen a lot of her talks um, that are available on YouTube. And she's one of those writers I've heard more about and talked more about and read more about than I've actually read. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do look forward to picking up some of her other novels and, and books. She's actually the commencement speaker at my niece Abby's graduation at Williams College coming up, which is why I thought I need to get on it and read something by her. So I think I'll start with some of her earlier novels, maybe, because I know even I was looking at people's reviews on Goodreads on Americana, and even Roxanne Gay said, you know, could have used some some editing. It was kind of a, a wonderful mess in some ways. I agree. Yeah. I And I listened to it, okay. I did, which, and it was... It was read by someone with a Nigerian accent, I think, so which made it a little bit more interesting, mm-hmm. but definitely not my favorite of hers. If if I were to, to point you in a direction, I would say start with Half half of a Yellow Sun, I think it's called. Okay. Wonderful book. I All loved right. that yeah, book. I think um, I'll do that. Yeah, she's a, she also takes a lot of concentration, I think, to read, and so if you were reading that when you weren't feeling well, I could see where it would just feel like way too much work. Mm-hmm. My second DNF, boy, we're on a roll, aren't we? <laughs> we did actually read and finish some things, um, was the one Blue Light Yokohama um, by Nicholas Obergon, and I think it was well written, but um, it's about, it's based on a... Uh, murder that occurred in Japan and you know it was all about detectives Mm -hmm. and I just wasn't interested I didn't want to read about blood splatter and you know things like that okay (laughs) so like I think I'd rather read about cupcakes that's when I when I when I get into a book like that I'm like you know this is why I like to read about bakeries and you know people falling in love and you know so unfortunately it has gotten rave reviews from people so if you do like you know crime murder mystery type things with um and I think this is um number one in the in what is going to be a series I can't remember the inspector's name but, um, you know, you might check it out. Excellent. Yeah, it has a cool cover. <laughs> yeah, I saw that when you had it from the library. Yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. It was a cool cover. Uh, did I ever tell you my blood splatter story? No. It happened with my dog, Buddy. <laughs> so <laughs> No. Buddy was outdoors. Outdo- outdoors. He was out in the yard <laughs> playing with the neighbor dog. And he came in, and he had blood all down his neck. He has husky coloring. He's a greyhound husky mix. And, you know, he has this white on his neck. And I was like, oh, man, what's going on? So I'm, I'm washing his neck off, and I don't see any blood happening or anything. It's like, that is so weird. So then I'm sitting at my desk, and he comes up to me, and I'm petting him. 
And I look at my hand and there's blood on my hand. I'm like, what is going on? And I finally figured out his ear had a scrape on it. So his oh ear was gosh. bleeding. So uh, the blood splatter happens a little bit later when I go into the kitchen and our kitchen is white. Uh, well, the door is white and, and things. And I look, I was like, what's it on the door? And it's all these blood splatters from Buddy shaking his head <laughs> with his bloody ear. So I was like, oh, my God, that's so fascinating. And as a fan of, like, Patricia Cornwell, I'm like, oh, my, let me analyze these blood splatters. And it was so cool because you could see, because she talks in her books about, well, she's not the only one, but I think she was the first who really made that forensic analysis part of a, a mystery story. And so you can sh- see where somebody was standing when they were hit and, and analyze the blood splatter by right. where they were. So with buddies, it was a hot mess because <laughs> you can kind of see like where ground zero was, which is right <laughs> where his head is at about, I don't know how many inches. And then it fanned out from there. So, wow. You yeah. had your moment. Did you want to get times. one of those like ultraviolet lights that you can get <laughs> to see where all the blood is? Oh, that would be scary to do in your house. <laughs> like, we're like, hmm, what was that from? <laughs> the carpet. Who knew? Yeah, like yeah. I said, cupcakes. Cupcakes, yes. <laughs> so did you finish a book? I did. I finished two books since we last talked. Um, the first one is uh, Schadenfreude, the one by Rebecca Schumann, which is her memoir of her experience with Germans and studying German. And I really enjoyed this memoir. It was surprising. It, it um, There's a lot of graduate school stuff in the second part. Because uh, she does go on for a PhD in German after she leaves college and she's in the workforce for a while in New York and eventually decides to to pursue this PhD wow. in and German. You mean in German language? In German like, language okay. and literature. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was really interesting. And so there was a lot of wonderful graduate school angst and just the hell that is graduate school. And what it does to you to be in such a small, you know, microcosm, you know, the small community that is so intensely focused on something. And, and it is a very small job market. So I thought mm-hmm. she did a pretty good job of representing what the job market is like. And how it differs, as she says, like people are wondering, like, so what's the big deal about the academic job market? Everybody's looking for jobs. It's hard. But like in the academic world, like you are approaching the gate as the supplicant who wants to join this small world of academic scholars. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you give up everything, you might have a teeny tiny chance of entering that world. And I, I just really enjoyed the way she described all of her experience with that and what it did to relationships. Wow. And that whatnot. sounds great. So, yeah, I really, I really um, totally recommend that. I don't think you have to be interested in Germans necessarily or German to read it. It's just a really good memoir. And I wanted to say a couple things. What did I put a note here? Um, yeah, so Rebecca, she is an adjunct uh, instructor at University of Missouri right now. And she's also an education columnist for Slate. So you might have come across some of her really neat articles there. I kind of got sucked into reading them. And she also writes for the Chronicle of Higher Education. So if you were thinking about graduate school or in graduate school, you might want to check her out. Or maybe a recovering graduate student like me. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, post. Yeah. 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 She could be a good bomb. Yeah. So check it out. That's cool. It's got a really cool cover, I have to say. Yeah. So she got into German because of a boy who was into Kafka, Franz Kafka. And so there's a picture of a roach on a bed 
smoking a cigarette. <laughs> so that gives you a little preview of and the attitude you're going to see. It's bright yellow, the cover. Yeah. It's really pretty. It catches your eye. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, check it out. It's from Flatiron Books. It just came out in February, I believe. Nice. I just finished um, Anything is Possible, the new um, book of linked short stories by Elizabeth Strout, mm-hmm. who is of Olive Kittredge fame, and Lucy Barton. I think it was called I Am Lucy Barton. Um, it's another set of linked stories, a lot like Olive Kittredge, and the common theme in this one is the character Lucy Barton, which is from her last novel, which was really interesting. Um, and I read an interview with Elizabeth Strout, and she said she actually kind of did write the books in tandem. Mm-hmm. And I have seen her. Um, she was at the Newburyport Festival last year. Oh, cool. And she talked about that at home. She lives in New York City. She has this huge dining room table, and she writes by hand. And she just has all these pieces of paper that she's written on. Wow. And then she kind of moves things around and makes them into books, which kind of makes sense if you read her stories, especially her linked short stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had a funny moment in Newburyport. This is what a author book nerd I am. I was walking down the street with Aunt Ellen, and I was like, this is where I saw Elizabeth Strout last year, <laughs> you know, right <laughs> on this street corner, you know. So um, so I'm a big fan of her writing. This um, Olive Kittredge took place in Wisconsin. I'm sorry, in Maine. This set takes place in the Midwest, so it's very Midwestern in theme and it's um it's a little bit sad it's about Mm. people's regrets and um shame and also she really being someone who was born and raised in a small town and when I say small town I mean 3,700 people small town she had this statement she said where she talked about you think you know people but you really don't Mm. and do we ever know people you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's even more. Um, you, you, f- I, I felt that statement so strongly because you do really know people in the small town you grew up in. You knew them. You met them in preschool in the sandbox, and then you knew their parents and their grandparents, and um, so you kind of may think you know what's going on in these families. But what mm-hmm. this book speaks to is you don't always know, or there could be certain members in the community who know, but kind of keep it on the down low. You mm-hmm. know. So I thought it was a really good book. I enjoyed it very much, and I highly recommend it. Anything is Possible by Elizabeth Strout. I do want to read stuff by her. I have uh, her other two books at home. I haven't started them, obviously, yet. Yeah, I love her writing. I think she's great. She's, a, she's, very, um, she's an observer. Mm-hmm. You can tell that. And she spoke about that when I saw her, that she kind of eavesdrops on people all the time. And so she's very good at building character, I think. Excellent. So yeah. go for it. Cool. All right. Well, the other book I read, I uh, jumped back into Woman Crime Writers, Four Suspense Novels of the 1940s, and that's the Library of America series uh, edited by Sarah Weinman. The book that I read was In a Lonely Place by Dorothy B. Hughes, and it is amazing. Mm. It is an amazing novel. It was written in, well, it came out in 1947, it's a you know noir LA setting, and the atmosphere that she creates is just brilliant. It's a psychological suspense type book. It's about a guy who had been a flyer in World War II in the Army Air Corps, and he's back home and is trying to recapture that glory of flying and the excitement, and I think also the camaraderie. And the equality that he felt 
within his unit because, you know, in the military, it is pretty true. Like when you're on a mission and you're dealing, you know, with people from a wide variety of backgrounds, everybody is equal, mm-hmm. at least when you're so focused, mm-hmm. you know. So he's trying to recapture that. And he is also, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but there's also a woman in his past He's a very much the lone wolf kind of character, and he calls himself a lone wolf. I, just, I wanted to read a, a section of it, if you don't mind, Please. Emily. <laughs> I love it. Um, here, wait. I just, like, because it's just, just to give you a sense of the language I wrote down here. Let's see. Okay, and this is just a paragraph I want to read. Her name was Mildred Atkinson, and she had led a very stupid life. Grade school, high school, Hollywood high, but she was no beauty queen. Business college and a job in an insurance office. She was 27 years old, and she was a good girl. Her parents sobbed. She played bridge with girlfriends, and she once taught a Sunday school class. She didn't have any particular gentleman friend. She went out with several. Not often, you could bet. The only exciting thing that had ever happened to her was to be raped and murdered. Even then, she'd only been subbing for someone else. Oh, yeah, right? I, it was just like a punch to the gut. Like, it was like, oh, man. Like, they're just really some great, it's great writing. Yeah. The whole book really hangs together really well. And for once, the murderer, his, uh, what do you call it? His, what do you call the reason why somebody murders his, um, well, it's not blamed on the mother. Let's put yeah, it that okay. way. His background is he was raised by this stingy uncle who owned a hardware business in Princeton. And so he grew up having to work in the hardware store with all these rich Princeton boys around. And it kind of goes from there. He's the kind of guy who always wanted more Mm. and had to settle for, I think, what could have been a good living, but he always wanted more. So he was bitter. He's totally bitter. He is a bitter lone wolf. And there's just some great scenes. There's another scene where one of the women who's murdered, her, her face is on the front page of the newspaper and he's in his apartment, and somebody comes over, and the newspaper had slid to the floor or something, and he puts his feet right on her face oh. on the newspaper. It's just like, ah, oh, these images are great. And it was made into a movie that I, I do want to see. It was a, it came out in 1950. It was directed by Nicholas Ray, who did um, Rebel Without a Cause. He directed that. And it starred Humphrey Bogart and Gloria Graham. So, and it was supposedly, you know, got great reviews too. The movie did as well. But read this book. If you have any interest in like noir fiction, detective fiction, this is just a brilliant novel. And um, Dorothy B. Hughes won, let's see, well, she didn't win it. She was awarded the Grand Master of the Mystery Writers of America in 1978. And she also did win an Edgar, Edgar Award for the case of the real Perry Mason in 1978 for the uh, best critical biographical work. Ooh. Yeah. So she started as a poet. She had, a, I think, two books of poetry published, one which won an award from Yale. She wrote 14 suspense slash mystery novels. And then she also wrote some other crime books. And she spent many years as a reviewer. Wow. And then she wrote some short stories that were published as well. Heavy hitter. A total heavy hitter. And her day, she was born in 1904 and died in 19. 19- 93. Wow. Yeah. So, good life. yeah, good life and, and really a great novel. Can't recommend it enough. Excellent. So, have you read all four, Chris? Or is no, that there's one okay. more to go. Okay. In, this, in the 1940s. 
And then I'll have the 1950s volume to, to do. Yeah, it's been fun. And I'm, I'm happy I'm kind of taking time and spacing other yeah. things throughout. Yeah. Because this, you know, noir and uh, it's not necessarily my total cup of tea, like to read it all the time. But every mm. now and then it's just such a good, like, I don't know, it's awful because it's so bleak and dark, but it's so atmospheric. Yeah. And it's just the language is so punchy. I just really enjoy them. Yeah, it's nice to just, you know, put them in here and there in mm-hmm. your reading. That's great. Well, look mm-hmm. forward to hear about the last one in the, in the, in the uh, what's it called? It's uh, an anthology. Yes, right? Women Crime Writers. Uh, well, this is, it's from the Library of America. It's oh, right. a two-volume set, Women Crime Writers. There's um, one that has four novels from the 1940s and another from the 1950s. Excellent. And again, Sarah Weinman is the editor of that. Great. My next book was Saints for All Occasions by J. Courtney Sullivan, which was one of the books that Anne had talked about, and I picked this up as an arc when we were at the book barn. Oh, so, cool. wait, did I pick it up? Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, I picked you, it up. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, um, and I should say that I'm having a lot of trouble reading right now, hmm. and both of these books I read on the airplane. I read one on the way to Portland and one on the way back from Portland. So I haven't been doing much reading in the off hours. But um, so this, um, you know, Anne talked about it on episode 15. So I won't talk about it too much. But I will say that I loved it. And it follows two Irish sisters, Nora and Teresa. And it goes back and forth in time, which is something I really like in chapters um, in 2009. So more present day. And then also... The, the back in times span the 50s through the 70s. Mm-hmm. And these two um, sisters came over from Ireland, so they're immigrants, and it kind of talks about settling in the Boston area. And um, as Anne spoke to, they're very different, as sisters mm-hmm. can be. <laughs> and one walks the straight and narrow and actually um, uh, does something for her other sister who's a bit of a risk taker, and it affects her um, uh, her whole life and then the other sister who had been kind of a rebel ends up as a nun so it's a very interesting story Um, there's also just a little small thread of lesbian storyline because one of the sister's daughter becomes a lesbian and um, it was interesting to me to I grew up in such a liberal town that even though I know many people struggle coming out to their families it still feels odd to me because I couldn't imagine either of my children struggling to talk to me about that Mm -hmm. you know but there definitely is a thread of that in this story where even when the daughter brings her partner home the mom's like oh how's your roommate you know and just cannot grasp that she could be anything but a roommate Mm -hmm. you know yeah so I thought that was an interesting part of the story as Mm -hmm. well you know Mm -hmm. um Really enjoyed it. It was a total page turner for me. Saints for All Occasions by J. Courtney Sullivan. If you like her writing, the other book that I read by her that is a total summer beach read is called Maine. And I highly recommend it. Um, Really good read. I feel like that was the book that got away from me. Because, like, I wanted to read it and it just... I don't know. You know how books, like, they're yeah. all there in your face, and all of a sudden they disappear yeah. until they're mentioned again. That's because there's hundreds more oh, printed. They're, they're everywhere. <laughs> did you read another? I have one no, more. No, okay. I did not. I have one more that I also found at Book Barn. Um, or no, I'm sorry, I did not. I found this at Northshire. Northshire mm. in Manchester, Vermont, has a great used book section, and I found mm-hmm. this book. 
And I follow Roxane Gay on Goodreads, and she five-starred this book, oh, and cool. I have been looking for it. It's hard to find. Um, did I say the title? <laughs> the Red Car by Marcy Dermansky. And I just want to read you Roxane Gay's blurb on okay. the back of the book. I've been waiting and waiting for a new book from Marcy Dermansky, and finally that new book is here. The Red Car is taut and smart and strange and sweet and perfect. I want to eat this book or sew it to my skin or something. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> it's a pretty good blurb. Um, and then I also want to say Megan Abbott, who's, I think she writes kind of like thriller, mystery, murder. I don't know. I've never read her. I know her, the name. But yeah. She blurbed, Marcy Dermansky's The Red Car is a Wonder, moving, mysterious, and filled with dark, sly humor. It rustles under your skin and stays there. By the time I reached its shimmering final pages, I wanted to go right back to the beginning and start again. Very cool. And I would agree with both of those authors. It's a very short book. It's a couple hundred pages. My sob story around this book is I had about 50 pages to go and forgot to throw it in my bag to take on the airplane to Portland. And I got to the airport and I was like, oh my God, I cannot (laughs) believe that is sitting on my nightstand. But I had it to look forward to when I got home. Um, It follows the character of Leah who's living in Queens and she's she's kind of living an unhappy life in a marriage that she's not enjoying. And she had had a boss back in the day who was kind of a mentor for her who had bought this red sports car. And her boss passes away and leaves her the red sports car. So she has to go back to her old life, which was in L.A., completely different from her life in New York, mm-hmm. and um, kind of re-enter this old life that she had and, you know, drive around in this red sports car. And so it is, I would agree, particularly with the word that Roxanne Gay used about it being taught. Mm-hmm. It is. It's very um, almost simple writing, but unbelievable writing. So I highly recommend it. Um, I do want to read more by Marcy Dermansky. Uh, she does have some other books out. So very cool. go get it. The yeah. Red Car, Marcy Dermansky. Excellent. I like the cover too. Yeah, it has a cool cover. Kind of, I think that's probably Route 1 in L.A. Yeah, or totally California, has that vibe, yeah. Yeah. So, currently reading, I just confess that I'm having a hard time reading, but um, I'm trying to read a book. Yeah. <laughs> and it's one that I've mentioned in the past. It was sent to me by our mutual friend, Russell. It's called History of Wolves by Emily Fridland. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem I'm having with reading right now is I just read and then realize I haven't been paying Pay attention. attention. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm just really either tired or overwhelmed or just need some brain space. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. Yeah. 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 So I'm I am only um a few pages into it, so I don't have much to say about it, but hopefully I will. Excellent. Next yeah. episode. Hopefully it sticks. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well I'm reading a nonfiction book. It is called Connecticut Valley Tobacco by Brianna E. Dunlap. And I mentioned this in the last episode. Well, one of the ones is an upcoming read, and it's really cool. It's uh, a, a, from the History Press. If people are familiar with that here that series, um, they're usually kind of shortish books, just usually a little bit over a hundred pages, but they're filled with great photographs. And this has a, a great selection of photographs. It starts with uh, tobacco use among the Native Americans in the area, and it ends with current day. And what's neat is each chapter 
has each cha- it's broken down chronologically, but each chapter also has a day road trip to go see some type of historical museum or site dealing with tobacco in Connecticut. And I had no idea that tobacco was a thing in Connecticut. Me either. Until, you know, I saw those red barns up by the airport, right? Yeah. 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 And and so, yeah, those are tobacco barns. And what's neat is I was at um, our local convenience store the other day that has a deli. And while I was waiting for our sandwiches, I was looking at their cigar station. They have this big cigar box, and I was kind of cigar display. And I was looking at the different boxes, and a couple of them said Connecticut Shade. Wow. For the wrap, because I guess these are what are used to wrap the cigars. And then it, so it has the wrap information and then the, 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 con, the filler oh. tobacco. And I thought that was really neat. And the guy who worked there didn't, doesn't know anything about tobacco, but I thought that was There's a cool shock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, they don't hire specialists. Um, but yeah, neat pictures, I, I, and I'm enjoying it. And I should say, too, um, I'm going to an author event tomorrow night up at the book club bookstore. Um, Excellent. So I'm looking forward to, to that. Well, you know, when Jacob was in school in Kentucky, I, and I, maybe I talked about this already when you were talking about this on the, a, a couple episodes ago, I think, um, tobacco is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. And when you see it hanging in barns, it's really beautiful. And my drive that where I used to live in Ohio to where he went to school in Kentucky was this beautiful drive, particularly when you got on the Kentucky side through all these horse farms and everything, and they had these barns. And then if you were there at a certain time of year, you'd get stuck behind these trucks just weighed down with piles of tobacco, yeah. you know. So it is a beautiful plant. I don't it recommend is. smoking it, but I, it is yeah. a beautiful plant. Well, and you know, you got to wonder, too. Like, I mean, the Native Americans, I, I mean, they used it as a, a ceremonial-type mm-hmm product Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word or plant but they did use it too as an appetite suppressant Mm -hmm. apparently um Mm -hmm. which is interesting to know but you know you have to wonder too i mean i'm a former smoker i quit many moons ago um but just the way tobacco is mass manufactured and planted and all the pesticides and god knows what other fillers they put in Mm -hmm. it you know smoking a natural plant that's just that plant versus in your backyard yeah Yeah. everything (laughs) yeah um but yeah no i'm i don't condone smoking i'm just into history yeah well it sounds like the perfect book for you especially since it's all about connecticut yeah totally cool and we'll have some road trip yeah uh destinations Excellent. Not that we're lacking for any right, around exactly. There's so much to see. It's <laughs> awesome. So I'm reading another one, too. I just started it. It's a book that's coming out in June, and it's getting a lot of good buzz, I think for good reason, from what I've already uh, dipped into with it. It's The Gypsy Moth Summer by Julia Fierro, and it takes place in the summer of 1992 with the big gypsy moth invasion. Oh, yeah. Um, it's set in like the Long Island area, but it involves two very different communities, the former military engineers who are the developers of the aircraft and everything, and then the workers who are working in the factory. So you have those two communities, and an interracial couple moves in, Mm. and one of the girls who's a long-timer on the island starts dating one of the kids. So... It's all about the change that happened in the 90s. Bill Clinton's campaign is mentioned in the blurb. And I I really love her writing. I didn't mark a specific passage to read, but maybe after I finish it and we talk about it in a subsequent episode, I'll I'll read a a couple uh, 
sentences anyway because she is a beautiful writer. And she's somebody I started following on Facebook months and months ago. Um, she is from the area originally, and I think now she's kind of bi-coastal in California and New York. Hmm. So look for that. I know she's going to be at RJ Julia, oh, too, sometime in June. And she has a big tour coming up, so check her out. Julia Fierro, The Gypsy Moth Summer. Excellent. Well, we have lots of Biblio adventures to talk about, don't we? We do. I realized that when we did our um, debrief with Anne, we didn't talk about, just I thought I would quickly mention, on our way up to Manchester... We stopped at three bookstores. We did. Which is almost a record for us. I think we did stop at three bookstores one of our New York trips. But um, Russell, our, our mutual friend Russell, had flown in from San Jose and had a little. we had a little day to wander all the way up to Manchester. So we started at Breakwater Books, which is right in Guilford on the Green. And they've just had a big new refresh, new owner, and a completely redo on the inside. Yeah, so it was fun to get in there. I think... I think Russell bought a book, some books there. You Russell bought, bought you some, bought I bought some, yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah. And then we went to RJ Julia, which is the one we talk about a lot yes. in Madison. They have tons of events. Yes. And then we went to Book Barn, which we've also talked about yes. in the past, but that is an adventure. Yeah, now the Book Barn in Niantic, Connecticut, it's it's huge. Right. So huge. It has, uh, what, like four, five different locations throughout town, and we went to two. We went to the main location. And when we were there, excitement was happening. One of their goats escaped. <laughs> That's right. They have goats there. <laughs> um, it's a neat, I should say, it's like there's a main building, but then there are all these different outbuildings yeah. that house different types of books. And then they have the goats there. So it's really a fun place. They have big wheels and wagons for kids to use and just a really fun kind of place. And then we went to their newer location, which is mainly literature. Right, and that's more of just kind of an indoor building. It doesn't have quite the, um, yeah, you know, what do you call it, esoteric quality <laughs> of the other one, yeah. I guess. But it's also a cool town, you know, on the, on the water, so it's a nice place. You could make a yeah. little day trip of it and have a lunch, which we did. Absolutely, and yeah, and there's, some, there's a cool old hotel there in town. But it's a, it's a great store. I think we bought stuff at both locations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the car was getting weighed down already. Oh we hadn't gosh. even gotten up to Manchester. Yeah. So. We should have... That'd be interesting to weigh. I mean, by yeah. the time we were heading back, we probably had a couple hundred pounds of books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although Julia sent all of hers, yeah. so had Julia That's had true. hers, we probably yeah. would have, you know, would have been even more. Yeah, because yeah. after we had our book at store adventures, we went up to Hartford and picked up Julia, right? Who was coming in from Montana, Montana, and then. We proceeded to Vermont. Right, and had the great weekend, which you guys have yes. already heard about. But yeah. then on the way home... Yeah, on the way home, we stopped at a couple places, too. Um, well, we stopped at Williams College, and right. we had lunch with my niece, Abby, right. which is great. Yeah, it was it's and a beautiful campus. heard some stories about Jim Shepard, right. who was a teacher there. Right. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then we went to the Emily Dickinson House and Museum in Amherst, Massachusetts. Which is beautiful. Yeah. And was... Um, was Part of the, the movie, A Quiet Passion, was filmed there, yes. so it looked a little familiar. Mm-hmm. And, and Chris... Was, uh, was I was I was validated. She was completely yeah. validated. I was cleansed, <laughs> as I said. So we were talking. Well, we should say Russell needed some Russell a long time. Right. So he went to the Amherst bookstore, and Emily, Julia, and I went to um, the Emily Dickinson house. 
and we were the docent did such a great job. He yeah. did a wonderful tour, and we were talking as we went. And at one point, the movie came up, and you said he seemed to kind of hold his breath a little bit to see like what our vibe was about the movie. Well, Chris and I had kind of placed wagers. We weren't sure if the docents would be allowed to ha- share an opinion about yeah. the movie. Yeah, yeah, or if they had to tell a party line, right? Um, so when I when it came out that I was disappointed in the movie and actually strongly disliked the movie, he was very happy to hear that. And and I had said that I was hoping to come up here and be cleansed of that movie. And he said, "Consider yourself cleansed, my dear." You know. So. <laughs> and then by the end fun. of the conversation, they were doing high fives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a it's such a great house, and they're working on it. The last time I was there, her. Emily Dickinson's bedroom was being redone, restored to its original setup with what they think is the original wallpaper and everything, and and that was really neat to see. Yeah, Yeah, they obviously, I mean, he said that money is a bit of an issue there, but they're doing renovations as they can. And then the house, the other house on the property, which was her brother's house, is being completely renovated. Isn't well, you know what? Said? He said it was closed for repairs. Oh, repairs. So I'm not okay. sure. Yeah. If it's renovation or just mm-hmm. some repairs, yeah. I'm not sure. But that's a cool house, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a it's a really cool small town. I didn't get a chance to go into the Amherst bookstore. I'm sure that was neat. It would be fun to go back up there. And yeah. we, we got very lucky, we should say, because we walked in and it was kind of close to closing. And we said we were there for a tour. And the woman behind the desk kind of looked at us cross-eyed. <laughs> and I think then we all looked at her with big puppy dog eyes. <laughs> And then the docent was standing in the room, and he was like, I'll do a tour, yeah. you know? So we were very lucky, and yeah. but we were kind of um, getting towards the end of the day, so didn't have much time to explore Amherst, which would be fun Right, yeah, we did have to take... Um, well, we dropped Russell and Julie off at the, the okay. hotel. Yeah, the, near the we, airport, yeah. yeah. And we moved yeah. back. But it was, it was a great... Uh, a great road trip. Yeah, it was really, really fun. fun. Yeah, Hit lots of places. Yes. And then I came home, was deathly ill for a few days, and then got on an airplane, because that's what sick people do, <laughs> to go to Portland, Oregon, um, to meet up with some family and with my two children. And this was my big celebration from graduating from graduate school. And um, of course, part of the celebration was to go to the big Powell's bookstore um, and we spent several hours there, which was really fun, and I got some books. And it was actually funny because I had told my kids that my friend Russell spends six hours at Powell's and has made a deal with his partner that he just has to do it in two-hour increments. And my kids were like, that's ridiculous. Who could ever spend six hours at a bookstore? And then towards the end of our two hours, they said, I kind of get it now because I don't think we had hit – we certainly hadn't hit every room, you know, because yeah. there's so many. But, yeah. um but it was really fun. And then I also went to Powell's Books on Hawthorne Street, which is a, kind of like a little sister store that they have, and went to an event um, with, the, with David Callahan, who's the author of The Givers, Wealth, Power, and Philanthropy in a New Gilded Age. This is a book about philanthropy. He is the editor of an online you call these now like journal I guess online magazine I yeah think. I've heard magazine okay journal yeah called inside philanthropy who's funding what and why which is actually really cool and I had never heard of it which I can't believe so I'm now reading articles on that website he was a really interesting guy and the basic just I you know I brought I carried this hardback book back and forth with me and have not cracked a page of it yet 
But his basic gist is, you know, there are very wealthy people in this country. I mean, he put out some statistics that I didn't write down. But as we know, I mean, there are some people with just extraordinary sums of money and they're getting into philanthropy, which is great. Mm -hmm. But his point is that they are affecting our democracy, you know, and that we should all care about that. And we should all be demanding that there be more transparency um, with what they're doing with their philanthropic dollars. Mm-hmm. And that so that's what he's trying to do with his website, Inside Philanthropy. He does a very good job of reporting both on conservative philanthropy and liberal philanthropy um, and really believes that we need to look at all sides of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. He was really cute when I went up to sign my book and introduced myself, and he said, you know, you don't have to read it cover to cover. You can just pick it up and read certain sections if you want. You know, and it was, I'd never have an author say that to me, yeah. you know. So it was really cute. He was like, you might just find the ending really interesting, <laughs> you know. So um, he had a good turnout. People asked really good questions. Mm-hmm. Um the one funny thing that happened is he went to the wrong Powell's. Oh, geez. <laughs> so we started a little bit late, and he came flying in the door, and he said it was really funny because the other Powell's had a whole setup for an author to speak to. So he just oh. walked in and walked up to the podium, and they were like, ah, <laughs> wrong store. <laughs> you know? yeah. So that was kind of so funny. That, what was the satellite store like? It's really yeah. great. It's actually, um, for me, the main Powell's is a little overwhelming. I do better in the big pals if I'm actually looking for something. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one did the same thing where they had new and used side by side, which is kind of one of the things pals is known for. Um, which but I it, love. I it, really I appreciate that. that too. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Um, and it, it had a little cafe, and um, it was just a very reasonable size. I really liked it. And they, they the other thing that they do well is they have good game sections. Really good young adult sections, you know, so I spent a lot of time in that, in the graphic novel. Yeah. So it was designed very similarly, but obviously not not as as big. Cool. Thanks for that. And the Hawthorne Street, um, just Hawthorne Street in general is a cool street to walk down. So Jacob and I went to like a hat store and a Goodwill store and, you know. Yeah. 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 Oh, excellent. Because we're going to be in Portland next month. Yeah. Um, So it'll be interesting to explore different parts of Portland because we usually, of course, always hit the big Powells, but yeah, it'll be yeah. interesting to try some other well, and bookstores we had a, as well because there yeah, are tons of other bookstores. There are, and I was going to yeah. say, we had a listener who told me before I went, sent an email saying there's an, another great bookstore called Another Read Through, and that's in a really cool neighborhood that we, we went to dinner right next door to the bookstore, and it was Mother's Day, and my kids, um, I have not been with my kids on Mother's Day. I can't tell you when the last time was because they've both been in college and, mm-hmm. you know, it's a May, early May, you know, holiday. Right. And so they had planned my entire Mother's Day, which was so fun. And um, we ended up at this dinner and I kind of flew in the door to the dinner and we, Jacob, our, the final event, we had taken Rachel to the airport already, but we were going to do a swing dancing lesson. Cool. So we had very little time, and we were at dinner with my whole family, 
and we're walking out the door and he's like, Mom, we've got to go. And I turned my head and there's that bookstore. Oh, and I was like, but nice. there's the bookstore. And he said, no, Mom, we've got to go. You were already in Powell's for hours, you know. So I have another bookstore to be excited to go see, but I would love for you to walk through it. And yeah. I'm sorry um, that I didn't get to, but I, I know where the neighborhood it's in, which is a really cool neighborhood. I highly recommend it. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. we'll check yeah. it out. I think we'll be in Portland for two days. I'm not sure. Okay. I think it's yeah. going to turn out to that because we're doing a little bit of a road trip. Right. So. Yeah. Awesome. So, so the book, though, I didn't mean to derail the conversation yeah, yeah, no, about the book because it does sound very fascinating. Yeah. Because uh, transparency mm-hmm. is so important and for yeah. our government and for, I think, the livelihood of our public institutions. Right. And, of course, I could talk to you guys for five hours about this because I just studied all of this. Yes. But I will say, obviously, one of the reasons it's very important is because um, a lot of organizations, charitable organizations, are 501c3s, which means that they can receive money from the public. And we, as the public, get a tax deduction for donating to them. And they also, the organizations, don't have to pay taxes and they don't have to pay property taxes and, you know, all sorts of things. So there's there's a flow of money that happens that's really important to understand mm-hmm. and also to be concerned about how that money is being spent is obviously important. So transparency was something that came up a lot for me in grad school. And, and also, you know, people being concerned about how their money is spent, which mm-hmm. is you know, something to care about. So Absolutely. we can talk more about that in the future. And I, it is my upcoming read. So right, great. Um, hopefully there'll be more to talk about then. So cool. And I went to two more events. Do you have any events? I have been sick. Oh, right. Okay. That's right. <laughs> I don't, I haven't gone anywhere. Have I? Well, I mean, yeah, I haven't had any events. Well, the next one I went to was because you posted something about wanting to go. And then right. I texted you and, and said, then, I'm going. Yeah. But you were out. So this one um, was at RJ Julia last week. The book is called Crooked, Outwitting the Back Pain Industry and Getting on the Road to Recovery by Katherine Jacobson Raman. Mm-hmm. Or it might be Raymond. It's not like the noodles. It's R-A-M-I-N. <laughs> um, it. I have had chronic back pain since I was in my late 20s, and so I was very interested to go to this event. It, it was interesting to watch the people in the audience because all of us are shuffling around in our chairs because if you have back pain, sitting in a chair is always the worst thing. So yeah, absolutely. it was, you know, the woman next to me was like moaning and groaning and reaching to her lower back, and I could totally relate. Um, but what this woman is a journalist, and so, um, you know, she sits for a living, and sitting can be really hard when you have lower back pain. And she went through all of these, um, you know, machinations to try to improve her back pain and then got very interested in the industry mm-hmm. of back pain relief. And she talked a lot about a lot of different things. And she read uh, from a couple parts of different parts of her chapters. Um, and what, what it boils down to is she said that she said some really interesting things about pain. One of the things she said is, that in our country in particular, there's a, a feeling that we should not suffer from pain. And that's why doctors prescribe opioids, and it's why we have a terrible opioid epidemic in mm-hmm. this country. And I thought that was a really interesting perspective. And then the other thing she talked about was the anesthesiologists, how the insurance industry changed, so anesthesiologists, the number of patients they could see changed. And so Long story short, there was less need for anesthesiologists in hospitals, but there were all these trained anesthesiologists that needed to find work. So a lot of them became entrepreneurs and started these pain management clinics Mm. where they inject 
you know, these intense medications into people's backs, which the FDA has really had issue with. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, there's this whole cycle that occurs where the insurance companies decide how many injections you can get. And so then the pain management doctors, you know, make sure that you need all of those injections. And, you know, and I'm not trying to say that the whole industry is, you know, screwed up. Crooked. But, right. right. Crooked, yeah. exactly. Good <laughs> word. But, um, but there are some issues with that. So she, as a journalist, really went in and studied all of these things. Um, and, and she, I would like to read the book. I have not read the book. But she did have some solutions. The end part of the book has is solutions, mm-hmm. which I think is a really nice approach. And what she really came down to, what worked for her, was exercise, and, and particularly with a trainer to understand how she needed to improve her posture Absolutely. and improve the composition of her body, literally, mm-hmm. to support her spine. Preach. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, as somebody, I worked as a massage therapist for years, and body, uh, your pain is telling you something. It's telling mm-hmm. you something's not right. Mm-hmm. And to just medicate it sometimes exasperates exacerbates the problem yeah really especially with back pain and also can lead to more problems because you can't feel your body when you're medicating it exactly yeah Yeah. and then she said healthy eating was the second solution Mm -hmm. and sleep she said there's a huge correlation to poor sleep and back pain Mm -hmm. which i thought was so interesting yeah i mean there's so many studies right now about sleep Mm -hmm. i i love sleep and and it's something that's so fleeting for a lot of people Mm -hmm. Intentionally or not, right. and and it does. I mean, there are correlations between lack of sleep and heart disease as well. Mm-hmm. And sleep heals you. Yeah, it's where your body takes care of everything and right regenerates things. And what was the where there was another book event we were at recently, which is completely escaping me, where they were talking about how you, your brain actually cleanses, like. Um, the toxins toxins out during sleep was so it the bird is. book yes yeah thank you yeah. the bird book yeah. chris my real brain <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and so i just think that when she came down to that it was interesting now as someone who has had a period in my life where i couldn't move you know i will say that back pain is excruciating in a level that you know, you crawl to the doctor and say, do something. Absolutely. So I, I could also understand the other side of it yeah. as she was talking. But um, but I'm very interested to read it. Again, the main title is Crooked, Outwitting the Back Pain Industry and Getting on the Road to Recovery by Katherine Jacobson-Roman. Yeah. it's. I mean, I think pain, pain is so insidious. I mean, it wrecks your life yeah. if you have chronic pain. Or it yeah. can wreck your life. I don't yeah. mean to sound overdramatic, but... I mean, really, I think having a combination of Western medicine and alternative therapies, mm-hmm. as they're called, and then really taking care of your body. Because, yeah. you know, sometimes when people have a bad back, their core muscles go downhill as well. And work on your core muscles can help that, yeah. you know. I yeah. mean, it's all, it's one body. It's all connected. And yep. we've got to take care of the whole shebang. Mind body, yes. too. I really believe in the mind body. Yeah. i got to say, though, when I was sick last week, I mean... I was out for two or three days, and I just thought, somebody just kill me. Yeah. Because I just... <laughs> I know that feeling. You know, just, yeah. just end it. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, I pain is no laughing no, matter. No, And then I went back to RJ this Sunday with Jacob and our mutual friend, Emily. Um, and she's the one that told me about this event, so thank you, Emily. And it was the Connecticut Coalition of Poets Laureate, 
which I did not know that states and towns had their own poets laureate. Not every state does, yeah, but some do. Connecticut yeah. does. And they have this great anthology called The Laureates of Connecticut, an anthology of contemporary poetry. Um, there, One of the poets was kind of the moderator, I'll say, and she introduced, um, you know, I, I started to write it down and I lost track. I couldn't keep up because I didn't have, Jacob was holding the book, the anthology book, um, but many people spoke. I want to say maybe eight poets got up cool. and they each read, the, they requested that each of them read their at least their poem from the anthology and mm-hmm. then many of them read another poem that didn't appear in the anthology. And our town has a poet laureate. His mm-hmm. name is Gordy Whiteman. And he read a couple poems, um, which were great. All of the poets were very different. They ranged in age. There was a gentleman who was 97. Awesome. And then a gentleman who I think was in his early 30s, and their poems were completely different. I mean, the gentleman in his 30s was talking about Twitter and, you know, stuff like that. So um, it was a really great event. I'm so glad we went. Jacob just loved it and went home and started. He's been, he's written poetry since he was back in elementary school and so he got re-inspired which was fun and even discovered in his um journals uh, some poems he'd forgotten that he wrote so he was very excited about that that's great yeah so look it up in your town um whether your state has a poet laureate one little fun fact that um they started the event off with was explaining to us that the word laureate actually comes from the word laurel leaf because the ancient Greeks used to crown their academics and their athletes with these laurel leaf, you know, halo crowns, crowns yeah. that you see. Very so cool. that was a fun little tidbit. Yeah, absolutely. So those were all my adventures. I've been busy. Yes, you have. Upcoming adventures? We have, we're talking about a joint jaunt going to see an exhibit at the Beinecke Library. Yeah, the Beinecke has some new exhibits. We're going to be doing that. Um, I'll be doing the tobacco, Connecticut Valley Tobacco event. That's tomorrow night. And that's at the book? That's at the book club bookstore in South Windsor, Connecticut. But that, you know, will be. But check out their website and their Facebook page because they have a lot of events. Yeah. There is an event tonight that I won't be able to attend but it is probably going to be an upcoming read. Uh, Sarah Prager, she uh, the title of her book is Queer There and Everywhere, 23 People Who Changed the World. It's from HarperCollins. It's a young adult book, and it was also selected as a Junior Library Guild selection, and it is about 23 uh, queer activists. She, um, Sarah Prager, uh, I looked at her bio quickly, she came out when she was 14, and she did a lot of research on LGBT history to kind of help build a sense of community for herself. Hmm. So this book sounds like an outgrowth of that. So definitely going to want to check that one out. And where is that event? RJ Julia oh, tonight. Okay. okay, okay. Yeah, so sorry, listeners, yeah. you'll miss that yeah. event, but check yeah. out the book. And I'm going to a very exciting event tonight. Yeah, I- yeah, and I'm not going to talk too much about it because I will just, I'll, I'll, on our next episode, I'll really fill you in. But um, Aunt Ellen invited me to go to this event in New York. It's a, um, an, a gala. I'm calling it a gala. They're not, but I'm <laughs> calling it that. It's the fifth annual Girls Right Now Awards. Um, Girls Right Now with a W. It's, uh, it's a very well-respected nonprofit in New York City that um, helps 
at-risk um, young women, you know, get engaged in their writing, and That's they awesome. get engaged via other very well-known writers. They have a mentoring program. Uh, that's really cool. They have this series on Fridays in the spring where a very well thought of author will come together with the girls and they do a, a reading, which I really wanted to get to in the spring, but just couldn't mm-hmm. swing it. Um, and so the honorees, just to give you a little glimpse at who I will be sitting in a room with tonight, are Zadie Smith, Sophia Amoruso, Alana Glazer, Melissa Harris-Perry, Abby Jacobson, and the MC is Elaine Walter Th- Walteroff, who's the editor of Teen Vogue. Um, and you may not know who some of those other people are. I will fill you in on uh, our next episode. Awesome. Sounds like a great event. Yeah. Such a great organization. Yeah, and they have a couple really cool um, auction items. One of them is to have lunch uh, with the editor-at-large of L, which I <laughs> thought was pretty cool. And um, so, you know, they have different things that are going to be going on tonight. So when we're done... I'm going to be hopping a train to New York. Yeah, and I'm just going to go for the, the evening because Jacob is here visiting and, um, and that sort of thing. So that's awesome. my big Right, can't wait to hear about that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Upcoming reads? The Gypsy Moth Summer yeah. is definitely um, your big read. The, the big upcoming read. Um, and then I do want to check out that Queer There and mm-hmm. Everywhere. Yeah, sounds like a good, Very good. one. Yeah, what about you? I have one, um, well, I have The Givers, which I already talked about, and then one of the books I looked for at Powell's, and it took a little while to find because it's a memoir, is it's called It's Okay to Laugh, and then in parentheses, Crying is Cool Too. <laughs> and this is by Nora McInerney, and I've been listening to her podcast. She has a really great podcast that's called Terrible Thanks for Asking. And what that refers to is um, she, in a very short space of time, like six weeks or something, she lost her husband, her father, and a child. Oh, my God. And so terrible things for asking refers to, you know, when some when you're going through a really bad patch in your life and someone says, how are you? And you say, fine, you know, keep walking. Because mm-hmm. as I like to say, there's maybe five people in my life who really want to know who I, how I am on a daily basis. And so this is referring to what you really want to say is terrible. Thanks mm-hmm. for asking. Right. You know? And so she interviews on her podcast people who've gone through really tough things. But she has an incredible sense of humor. So her, her interviews are fun and funny and, and people cry. And yeah. um, so I, I, would, yeah, I was just mm-hmm. like, you know, I've got to read her memoir because I just love her as, yeah. a, as a person when mm-hmm. I listen to this podcast. So Very cool. Let me see the cover. So again, it's called It's Okay to Laugh, Crying is Cool Too, Nora McInerney. It has a cloud with rain coming out of it and cupped hands underneath. Catching catching the rain. Yeah. 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 So there we have it. All right. Episode 16. That's a wrap. All right. All right, everybody. Happy reading. Happy reading. Thanks, as always, for listening. Yeah. And if you're looking for us, you can find us on Twitter at Book Cougars. Facebook at Book Cougars. If you have anything you want to share, please feel free to email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. And if you're listening to us on iTunes and like to leave a review, we'd appreciate it. It helps other people find us. Thanks, everybody. Happy reading, everybody. Bye.